I've always loved food mm-hmm. from the very beginning. When I was a baby, I was the best eater, my mom says. And there's videos <laughs> of me eating noodles with little baby chopsticks in a high chair. And so I've just always been a lover of food. And before it was even cool, I was taking pictures of food. Welcome to the ketchup. Introducing your hosts, Eli Aruth, editor in chief, and Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously. Of the craziest, most bestest, news breaking, food porn peddling, viral website on the dot coms. It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. Alright, and welcome to the catch-up. This week, we're joined by someone who completely dropped her prosperous career in law to take a chance with her passion with food. Under the hashtag WatchJuneEat, you'll see over 500 videos of her demystifying food that may be new or unfamiliar. One of my personal favorites, Eli, is when mm-hmm. she showcases how to eat the Shalong Bao, a.k.a. soup dumplings, oh. explaining how you bite off the top, mm. pour in sauce to yeah. create a vinegary soup jacuzzi. Brilliant. After amassing a community with hundreds of thousands, she eventually made the jump into restaurateurship, establishing... Not one, not two, but three different concepts, including the Hawaiian garlic shrimp-inspired Shrimp Daddy, mm. the handcrafted tea shop Sip Matcha, by the way, the new strawberry matcha looks bomb, mm. and a shaved ice mochi dessert brand, Chichi Dango. You can find her on Instagram, at Stir and Style, June Kwan. Welcome to the ketchup. Welcome. Wow, what an introduction. <laughs> I'm feeling very good right now. Thank you for that. Bro, a lot of people do intros with the guest not there. I like doing it with the guest just staring <laughs> like, like Are they find <laughs> Can I get a copy of that? <laughs> That's going to be your new Instagram bio. Seriously. <laughs> Speaking of your Instagram bio, bio it still says June Kwan Esquire. Yes, sir. Always Esquire. Mm. Once a lawyer, always a lawyer. I like never change. No. Never change. I was talking about that earlier with Chris here in the office. I was like, dude, if I was a lawyer and I'm no longer a lawyer, I'm keeping Esquire. Like I earned that. But I'm still practicing just for our own stuff. Oh, I'm doing in-house point. legal stuff for all the restaurants. Tell me about like the early days being a lawyer. Like, mm. well, how did how did you even choose law yeah, like, as why? a career? Yeah. So I always wanted to be in entertainment and loved being in front of the camera. But growing up in a pretty traditional Chinese household, mm-hmm. I felt the pressure to be a you know quote unquote professional. So my father's a doctor and I, I was at an internship at MTV in New York City and my parents were super supportive of that. But I also still felt that pressure to do something, um, to do something professional. So I decided that summer that I was gonna do entertainment law. And that was the closest I was going to get to being in the entertainment industry, Mm -hmm. but being still a professional. So I, that was my goal. And so right after college, I went straight to law school and then. What did you think entertainment law was going to be like? I thought it was going to be like, uh, suits and, (laughs) um, it wasn't, 
So every every day after work, I'd go home and watch Suits and be like, yes, I feel motivated. Like, this is what it's going to be like tomorrow. It, it wasn't. And so what was it actually like in comparison to what you thought it would be? It's very adversarial. And I'm not an adversarial person. And so every day I'm going into work, I'm fighting for somebody or I'm fighting against somebody. And it was it's very high stress. And it's many, many, many hours. So, I mean, one of my favorite things to do is to go out and eat, right, obviously. And I couldn't even make reservations to go eat where I wanted to because I didn't know whether I was staying at the office until 10 p.m. or 12 a.m. or not going home at all. So it was just unpredictable in that I couldn't make up my own schedule for things that I wanted to do myself. And that's a story that we've heard, Eli, even within our own close friend circles of when you're working at a certain type of or doing a certain type of law or working at a certain type of firm, it feels like you're on call 24 seven almost depending on what quote unquote client needs at whatever time. Is that what you were experiencing? At 100%. Your yeah. Well, I want to get into that because I was, this is like three or four years ago. My friend, two years into his firm, I'm visiting him in San Francisco. I'm, I'm coming in from out of town. We're grabbing dinner around like 730 at night, sitting across from me at the bar. We're having a good time. 15 minutes in, he gets a call and I'm like, oh shit, like some, something happened to his parents or something, the way his face turned white. And he got up, he's like, dude, Eli, I'm so sorry. He throws like some cash down. He's like, I gotta go. Like, <laughs> I gotta go back to the office. It was like, it's 7.30 on a Tuesday. And he, he had to bounce. And I was like, and that's not the first time or the last time I heard that story coming from a lawyer friend of mine. Um, are all lawyers like, do they all suffer from that? Like, is that a thing? Or? Um, I've met very few lawyers who actually enjoy what they do. Wow. Let's put it that way. Like, like truly enjoy, like are truly happy. Yeah. Like maybe environmental law lawyers who are like saving the earth, maybe? Maybe. But I hope so. Well, because we know the inevitable end. Like you, you now have successful businesses. You went and pursued your own passion and you followed that. Uh, but I think it's important to talk to kids and people who might be studying law or wanting to know what the hours are actually like. Cause I also have some lawyer friends who clock out right at five, like, and they're good. And I don't know what practice specifically they're in, but they happen to be in one where they can end at five. A lot of, a lot of in-house attorneys at, you know, big corporations or networks, mm -hmm. they have a normal schedule because they don't have billable hours, which is what uh, we had. So you mm -hmm. had to bill a certain number of hours per week. Gotcha. And so, you know, every it's in like six minute increments that you have to bill people. And then it's also kind of stressful because you're like, OK, I just went to the bathroom. So like, <laughs> do I bill you for that? You know, <laughs> it, it's and then, you know, so there's all these expectations. So, I mean, I think that if people are considering going to law school, I mean, I think I learned a lot of valuable information and insight in law school. And I use those skills every single day. Mm. But I think you should shadow you should volunteer a law firm see what you really like because because you should want to be a lawyer if you're going to go to law school because nobody told me that the bar exams like the hardest exam in the entire world literally the california bar exam is the hardest exam and it's three days and nobody told me this until <laughs> i was i was about to start studying and i was like uh what am I getting? We're into? in too deep at this point. Well, I just see lawyers raging, so I was like, "The test got to be easy." <laughs> you got to work hard and play hard in law school and you, studying. You have to counterbalance how hard you're working. Yeah, I it's I studied for like two months straight, like every single day. Woke up at eight a.m. and left the cafe at like ten p.m. So you you passed the bar. 
Yes, on the first try. Congrats. Whoa, whoa. Thanks. <laughs> That's what? amazing. Um, what next? You immediately get a job? Um, so after I passed the bar, I was deathly afraid. So, okay, how it works is that you graduate, then in July, at the end of July, you take the bar exam. It's a three-day exam. Then you have to wait three entire months to find out whether you passed or not. And then they tell you you passed on a website. So you have to sign in. And then after like 48 hours, then they make that list public. So you're oh just like God. shitting your pants the entire three months oh leading up to it. And so I I went on a post-bar trip. I went to Southeast Asia, backpacked in Australia by myself. And it was just an amazing trip. Came back, found out my results and thankfully passed. It was one of the greatest moments. Where ever. were you? Where were I, was, you? I locked myself in my room mm -hmm. and then I sat on the floor like holding my dog. And then I like clicked in. My heart was racing. And then I saw my name on the list, so yeah. And then I went outside and told my parents and they were like screaming and happy, and so it was awesome. And then, so yeah, after the bar, I was looking for a job. And at the time, a lot of my classmates weren't able to find jobs yet. And this was in 2012. And then, so I, I was applying to jobs. I actually had to get my ACL surgery as well. So oh, I, had sure. to, I had to be out for a little bit and I, uh, so I ended up getting a job in January. Uh, I found out my results in November, mm -hmm. something like that. And then I moved to LA for the job. That's fast. Yeah. That's like less than three uh, months. Almost, no, right? Actually, was it, maybe it was like three to six months. Whatever. That's yeah. amazing. Like that that close to your, I mean, that's that's Because you're originally from the Bay. Correct. And so that the move to Los Angeles was for that original lawyer job. Correct. Yes. Okay. So I, actually I had moved down in July. So 2013, July. So it took a little bit of time. And then I moved down to LA for the job, moved very close to my job in Century City, just so I could be convenient to the office. And yeah. Was it yeah. entertainment law? Did it you, was you, entertainment you law. Mm -hmm. Okay. So litigation. Dream job, dream job. You land. Yeah. Dream job. Yeah. Entertainment. Probably yeah. working for Vinny Chase. And, <laughs> uh, who else is in entertainment? And and at what at what point is the dream over, and you're looking for your passion again? Like, is that almost instantly? Is that three days in? Is that three years in? When did you start looking for something else that was beyond your dream job? I think entertainment litigation was always my dream job in law, but it was never my dream job in life. Mm -hmm. Like I had. Every time someone would ask me what my dream job is, I'd say that it's to host a TV show. Mm. And so that was always kind of in my mind. And so when I when I got there, I mean, I was feeling good. You know, I was like dressing up to work every day, got my nice suits and like feeling like a badass. And then eventually I'm like, this is, you know, I don't want to wear a suit to work. And so I eventually started wearing like slacks and a T-shirt. And then my associate, my um, like one of the other associates, he was like, I really want to wear that too. And he was like, what's the equivalent of a guy wearing that? Like pajamas? <laughs> I was like, basically. Because guys have to wear suits every day, yeah. but girls can kind of, you know, finagle around it. Um, but to me, I felt like I wasn't meant to sit behind a computer like 12 plus hours a day writing briefs and researching and arguing with people and going to court and, you know, arguing more there. So for me, I just don't think that it was the right fit and I wasn't feeling fulfilled. 
So what what was the moment you were like, I'm freaking out of here? <laughs> like there's gotta be yeah. that moment. Oh, there like, was I'm that done. moment. Okay, so it was we were pulling an all weekender. Oh, so, that's fun. Yeah, so for Friday to Monday. Sick. We literally did not go home except to shower like once, which was, you know, gross. But anyways, <laughs> so we were there for the whole weekend. And by Sunday, I was I was looking out the window of my office. Like I have a nice office and I feel like, I felt like every time I went into work, like I should be happy that I'm there because this is what I wanted and this is what a lot of people would want. But I was looking out, outside my office and I was just like seeing the streets and and thinking about how I would love to be out there and not in here. And so I decided at like 4 a.m. in the morning, myself and another associate, that we were going to resign on Monday. And it was only three of us as associates. And the other one wanted to resign too, but he just had other financial things that he had to take care of. So he had to stay so the two of us on Monday morning, after we finished, you know, what we were assigned in the, our work, because we're respectful in that way, we weren't just like, sure. see you later. Uh, we walked into the partner's office and let him know that we were giving our two weeks notice. And he was like, you can leave right now. And did you have anything lined up when you did that? Or, no. I mean, did Stir and Style start before that? Or was that all after you had just given a resignation. So I knew that I wanted to start something in food, but I didn't know what it was. And looking back, I guess I could have started it and, and then quit. But <laughs> but my personality is just, I, I really wanted to go full force You're into all it. In. Yeah, so I quit my job. I had nothing lined up. I, I didn't even have the name Stern Style or like an Instagram account or anything, just like my own personal Instagram. But uh, so, so I was starting from, you know, zero. So what did you do? What did you do with your time? Like the first two weeks that, because you didn't have anything set up. So were you just getting just back into life, meeting with friends and just doing what you wanted for the first time in a long time? Yeah, I was like eating out. I was spending time with Dan. I was, uh, Dan, you know, your husband, Dan. Right. Well, then boyfriend. Then but boyfriend, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Um, but yeah, I was like listening to the birds chirp outside. It was just. <laughs> she went out to that time. sidewalk she yeah. saw from her corner <laughs> office yeah. that she was imprisoned in. Exactly. That, like was like such a perfect Oz prison description <laughs> of like, I hate my legal office job. <laughs> it's so bad. What was your relationship with food? Because you said your your dream was to be a TV host. Was it always around food or was it just now you realize I do have this like passion for food. I've always loved food mm-hmm. from the very beginning. When I was a baby, I was the best eater, my mom says. And there's <laughs> videos of me eating noodles with little baby chopsticks in a high chair. And so I've just always been a lover of food. And before it was even cool, I was taking pictures of food using a disposable camera and annoying everybody at the table like, wait. And, and yeah, so I mean, food has always been a big part of my life. That's nerdy, yo. Oh, for, <laughs> oh, for <laughs> sure. With the disposable, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah that's, all, that's nice. That's OG right there. <laughs> Pot calling the kettle black, but damn. What do you do with those pictures? <laughs> like, I wish I could find to, them. When you go to Costco to get them developed. <laughs> They're all blurry. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just get this vision of younger you. <laughs> Walking into Costco and having the person develop, like, here are your 35 <laughs> pictures of Carl's Jr. 
Oh my god. Okay, so where does the name Stern Style even come from? And when do you when do you register this Instagram account? Or was it a blog first? So I started the Instagram and blog simultaneously. Smart. Stern Style came about because actually during the time that I was at the law firm, I was on my break and I was taking like I was I would shop around my break because I would be bored and excited to leave. <laughs> so I was I remember I was at a Zara and I was looking at this. Uh, it's like a long brown leather skirt. And then it was like mid length that I, you could wear to work, I guess. And then an, another top. And it reminded me of the steak fajitas that I had the day before. And then so in my mind, I was like what's happening like something weird's going on right now like i'm associating fashion with food and then so i kind of developed it more in my head and then i was like okay i i want to create something where i match my food with my fashion hmm. and so i i tried to think of a name around that and i came up with stern style the runner-up was taste and lace but <laughs> but dan said that sounds kind of a little bit naughty, a little racy, so. yeah, a little yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you when did you meet Dan? Was that in while you were a lawyer? Yes. Or sorry, correct. You're always gonna yes. be a lawyer. I need to get I, it I wanna, right. Okay. <laughs> I need to get my pronouns proper here. Okay. Uh, yes, I was I was a uh, practicing at the law firm when I met Dan. Okay. There, that's and it was really hard to meet guys while working because there's no time to do anything. So I tried like Tinder and all that stuff. But and that didn't work. How did you get I was meet? really afraid that I would get like kidnapped. Because like y they're strangers, right? And then you're just talking like things are coming up on my phone like Mike, Bob, Jake, blah, 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 blah. And I don't even know who any of these people are, but you're just starting random conversations with them as if you're interested or invested. And then you really have no idea who they are. So my entire relationship and friendship with you june i felt like we've connected because i think we're both old souls yes where we recognize the as the beautiful aspects of technology but we're not okay with everything from i don't know not doesn't have to be a maybe it's social perspective maybe it's a moral perspective but we're a little bit old school in that way where as much as tinder and who bumble and all these technology apps are one of the best ways to meet new people now because people are so confined to their own mm -hmm. rooms, their own houses and their own world. It's also like mind boggling to just talk to strangers through an app en masse. So we're, we're all yes. in relationships, but uh, Tinder sounds lit. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> and I have to say it like that because I can't use it. But how lit does this? Imagine being in college. Tinder wasn't around. I feel when any right. of us were in college, Facebook was like just coming around, and that was kind of lit. Because like, oh cool, if that girl's cute, like I look her up on Facebook, and then I can like send a DM because I'm like too shy to do it in person. But when it was a message, not a DM. Okay. Yeah. Semantics. It was man. like a written note. <laughs> very good. Very good. Both of you. Um, but yeah, just imagine the, the the entire dormitory at your fingertips if everyone was was on it. But you start to get blinded, right? Like all you're looking for is what you think is attractive. But sure. it, it doesn't really go deeper than that until you meet them. But I was just afraid to meet them because like they could kidnap me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was afraid to give them my real phone number because I don't know. 
So just felt weird. So you didn't meet Dan, your boyfriend, who's also boyfriend, a fitness trainer, also and your partner, business and all partner, your, and, and your, your concept. concept. Yeah, I met him at the club. Dang, old oh, school, right? Like old really school. old school. <laughs> okay, because I mean, you never think you would meet somebody that's like normal at a club. Like if you're going out with your friends because right. everyone's ratchet in there. Sure. But I mean, I'm thinking like, okay, well, we're going there, so we're normal people. So there must be other normal people here. <laughs> but Someone yeah, we else? met at the club. Totally. No no mutual friends, nothing. Damn. So what, did did you pick up on him or the other way around? This is always fascinating yeah. to me, guys. We're going to do this story. <laughs> so <laughs> We're going to get to the food real quick. Right, but yeah. The, but we also, we know Dan, love Dan, and yeah. he's a partner in your restaurant. So I want to solidify it too because we have questions about the partnership. Absolutely. So. Yeah, so... I went out for a girls' night with my girlfriends. It was, yeah, it was Halloween weekend-ish. Halloween was like on a Wednesday. So not everyone was dressed up. So I was dressed up (laughs) as an astronaut princess, obviously. Awesome. So I had like a silver leotard with like a metallic skirt and then a crown. So everyone just kept saying happy birthday to me because because girls wear crowns for their birthdays at the club. Real quick, what's the ratio of how many people were costumed to not ha- to not wearing costumes I'd say in the club? 40-60, 40 being wearing costumes. Okay, so more people than not not wearing <laughs> Correct. costumes. Correct. <laughs> so, I had my crown on and every and so eventually I would just say thank you when people said happy birthday because I was over explaining <laughs> the astronaut princess. And then so uh, my fr- I was I was on the dance floor with my friend and then she was like there's an Asian guy like beelining for you right now. And then I was pretending not to see you. And then he came up and he said, happy birthday. And I was like, thanks. And then he asked if he could buy me a drink. And then I said, well, it's not actually my birthday being the honest person that I am, you know? And then he said, of, of course he was like, that's fine. Um, and so we went, like, it doesn't matter. He walked away. Like, well, that was yeah, okay. He's like, mind. I knew these lion tramps came to the club all the time. Ow. And then so we went to the bar and, but it was, it was about to close. And so we couldn't get anything and we just got to talking and asked what each other did. And yeah, you had a real first conversation. Yeah, we had a real conversation. Um, I asked him, this is the funny part too, because I'm, at, at that time, I totally wanted to be with somebody just at least a little bit older than I was. Because I had, I just felt like they were more mature and just more on my level because younger guys just didn't get it. And so I, I asked- Because you're an old soul like me. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I asked people their age when I meet them because it's important to me. Hmm. And so I asked him his age and he said he was 27 and I was 26 at the time. So I was like, perfect. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, he got my number and he texted me a few days after. And then- and The rest is history. Yeah. He did that good way. And then I, <laughs> wait, do you guys know about Dan's age? What about did it? We tell, did I tell you this? Is it not documented? Oh, I, he lied to you, right? Yeah. <laughs> wait, so he's not, tw- he wasn't a year older Correct. than you. Correct. He looks young. I was oh, about to say, I, I was going to say. I forgot about that. You both look young, but I, but Dan looks like. Real young. He's, okay guys, if you don't know what Dan looks like, look him up, but he, very smooth baby face, yeah. but like huge hunking, like everything else, like traps, muscles, everything yeah. else. So like, it's kind of hard to tell how old he is. Yeah. So, like, five months into our relationship, we're, like, in love. We're very, we're serious already because it was just, we got along so well from the beginning. And then I I come home from the law firm and I'm I'm just 
stressed out of my mind because I have a deadline. So I'm just like, hey, like come in. He usually he was living in San Diego at the time, so he usually had a suitcase. But he didn't have a he didn't have a suitcase. But I I didn't even think of it. I finished my stuff. He's he just like had his jacket on, like sitting at the table, like he didn't get comfortable or anything. And after I finished, he was like, uh, we. I was like, hey, babe, I've missed you. What do what do you want to do tonight? And then he's like, um, we need to. I need to talk to you about something. And then he's he said. Um, before you get upset or anything, just let me explain. Oh, damn. And so in my mind, I'm thinking like, what, are you married? Do you have kids? What, like, are you a serial killer? And then he was like, you know how I said I was 27? It's like, yeah. And he said, I'm not 27. And I said, okay. How? Wait, is the, is the first thought when he says I'm not 27 like thank God he didn't kill somebody? Yeah. <laughs> I know I know that it was a lie and that it was bad, but when someone sits you down like that, you have no idea. I feel like you have no idea what's coming. He's like, I used a fake ID to get in. You're like, oh, fuck. I'm 17. He's like, I'm a, I'm a lawyer and I'm still fucked. <laughs> so he goes, I'm not 27. I said, how old are you? And he said, I, I didn't know whether he was older or younger than he said, right? He said, I'm younger than you. Yeah. And so I said, how much younger? And he was like, I'm five years younger than you. Savage. Whoa. And I was like, Savage. you're telling me you're 21 years old? Savage. Oh, he could just enter that like, club. Right. And, and so... I was like speechless. I started to cry because I felt like he was a stranger, right? Like what happened in those five years? What happened? And so uh, at the end of the day, I, I was just telling somebody before he got, came over that I felt so lucky to be with him because he's the most mature 27-year-old I've ever met. So I'm like, okay, well, if everything else that you say is true, then it doesn't matter. So it's nice to have a young man around the house. You I mean, I, I get it. He's savage. He, he he found the cougs at the club. Yep. <laughs> you robbed the cradle. Yeah. Uh, and he, I'm assuming when you asked his age, he read your body language and said, if I say 21, this is over. Yeah. And so he said something slightly more believable yeah and then and then i'm oh i can't wait to ask dan i'm assuming that weighed on him every day on that oh those, for he those says that it months. was like like he felt like there was a screwdriver in his stomach like every single time and he used to order me a glass of wine like while like if we sat down at the restaurant and then i went to the bathroom he would have the glass of wine there already and i was like oh that's so sweet but then I realized it's because he didn't want his, to pull out his ID for the waiter oh. and then me be like, oh, let me see your picture. Oh, so shit. So he's like, you know, he's trying to cover his tracks. Like, so, it, I mean, I understand it's very stressful. Yo, this is the most stressful age lying I've ever heard. And it's like literally just for people lying in their 20s. Like, what if he was wrong? What if he was like, because again, June, you, I can't tell how old you are. Like, it's yeah. beautiful. And you're in a club. It's dark. So, like, I don't blame either one of you guys for, for that. But it was 27. What if you said, like, 25? Imagine a 21-year-old right. going into a club. He's like, if a girl asks you, <laughs> you know, what, I what, Yo, what number do I have? Prepared. Yeah. While, while Dan was beelining to you, he had this whole uh, story seriously. ready to go. Like, I think because I said that I was a lawyer first. Uh, and so he, you know, he could do he's the like, math. oh, college, at least. law school. Yeah. 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 But, uh, I mean, to be honest, if he said he was 21, I would have been like, have a good night, kid. Damn. So, and 
so you're married now. Yes. Dan's your partner in all three of the businesses. Correct. At what point in your relationship were you guys looking at each other? I'm, ass- I'm assuming he knows about the f- frustrations of what's happening at your law firm. Like, where does that start from a concept perspective? A, let's work together as we're strengthening our relationship and or let's research a concept because that's what we want to do. Um, I think it started because, well, actually, I know this is when it started because he had a restaurant that he opened when we first started dating. So he, I was with him for the whole process of that. And then on my, after I quit the law firm on my days off, when I wasn't, you know, trying to do stuff for Stern Style, like I would be there with him helping to run the restaurant and we would be working together side by side, like making stuff in the kitchen or working front of house or tag teaming it. And so it was something that we were already doing, like working together day in, day out. He so, had a restaurant, so, he was 20, I mean, is that 21. why you were, you were like, damn, okay, still got a restaurant. Well, he didn't have a restaurant yet. <laughs> oh, he so didn't when, yet. No, he was a personal trainer at the time still. Okay. So then when we got together, it was at the time that we decided to do, or I decided to quit my job a little bit after we started dating, and then he decided to open a restaurant. That's crazy. So it was like sacrifices on sacrifices. What kind of restaurant? It was a pho restaurant. Mm. Yeah. It was called Chop Shop and Diamond Bar, and it was his dad's recipe, and his dad makes the best, but like, actually. How how was running and working with that restaurant? Like, was it challenging? Because I'm, I'm assuming the restaurant is not a thing right now. Correct. That, that restaurant. Correct. Yes. So he sold that one after two years. I It was from the in the very beginning of Stern Style. So I didn't really understand like what it was to do social influence or like social media influence or marketing and stuff like that and inviting people over and, and what that was all about. And so um, it was just word of mouth and like so many people were coming in and it was, I think it was just uh, a little bit before people were ready for what it was. It was like a build your own pho kind of bowl. And so people, but people weren't really ready for that at the time in that area. And Diamond Bar people are pretty traditional and they Mm -hmm. just like want what they know and they're not willing to pay much for it. And so, I mean, it was definitely a learning experience, everything there i want to talk later about if you'd ever revisit that concept because it's pretty, it's pretty oh yeah it's pretty i mean it, he's he's definitely thinking about it and and i mean the recipe is amazing so so shrimp daddy's the first concept that you guys end up doing together uh well i don't want to steamroll to shrimp daddy because i want to learn how stir and style kind of blew up because mm-hmm. i feel like that kind of defines a lot like being a really strong food media person has like shaped you too to like really know what will work for people who want to come to a restaurant. So, because I, I, I think we have to talk about Watch Junie because yeah. that was just to me just a defining moment in food. It's gonna sound corny, but in food influencer history, <laughs> because at that time I really don't remember anyone being in a restaurant being recorded actually eating the food mm-hmm. versus just showcasing the food and then giving like live commentary about the tasting notes and what they're experiencing. I never saw that before. Sounds simple. Like what's it, funny yeah, is all of this sounds so simple, but no one was doing it. Not, not on Instagram, not on, not on American Instagram. soil. Like that kind of content does, does have a place overseas, but on American soil, on American Instagram, it didn't exist. It just didn't. And if anything, it didn't rise to the top like yours did. So 
why did the hashtag watch June eat that particular content of you slurping noodles, eating pizza, crushing burritos? Like, why did that work so well? So I started off with with matching my food with my clothes. So it was pictures of me you know, wearing certain outfits and then pictures of food that I was making or going to restaurants to eat. And then that it gradually turned into getting invites to go to restaurants. So I was taking pictures of food, which you guys, you know, are familiar with people right. taking photos. So that was going on for a while. And people kept commenting like, you don't eat the food. Like you don't, you don't look like you eat the food. There's no way you're eating all that food. And so that stuff kind of got me riled up because it's like, dude, I do eat the food and I work out so that I can and I don't waste food. And so I, I, I wanted not only that, but I could see in the comments that people were talking about, like, you know, wanting to try it and wondering what it tasted like. And I wanted to show someone real eating it, having an authentic reaction to it and having that be part of my platform. Do, I, I get that a lot too. People say like, yo, you're not eating the food. Like I'm not particularly fit, so I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> but like I obviously eat the food. Um, was it more that we knew and you knew that other people actually don't eat the food? <laughs> like other food Instagrammers don't eat the food? Because I can't see you being the person that like takes so much to heart that you're like, I don't care what you think. But like knowing that other people don't eat food and they just kind of like toss it by the wayside, get it for a photo. I have my thoughts about that, but I'm curious, is that was that part of like that energy? I'd say so because I felt like I was different mm. in that I wasn't one of those people who would throw the food away mm. and take a picture of it because I feel like it's a privilege to be able to try different foods and people are going hungry. And so it, who who are you to throw food away and just take a photo of it for the gram, you know? And sure. so... I just wanted to be real with who I was. Yeah. And that's, you know, I I feel like I was more than just a photo of a burger. Sure. And that requires, I'm assuming that requires, uh, requires more research too. Because if you're putting up content related to the food you're eating and what it tastes like and things like that, I don't think you can just go to an Instagram tasting and know that you might get content. You might not, right? Depending on what if you hate it or, you know, I don't see a ton of your content really bashing places. So it feels like everything that you're eating is like stuff you actually really like and are explaining. But that would require you to know what it tastes like before you film that content. And that's something to me where, again, I'm not saying you do that, but that's my assumption. And... I like that because that just takes more thought and time versus anyone can kind of go to a restaurant, snap a photo and post it. But to filter that content by I'm posting like what I like about and here's what I like about it. I don't know. There's just more thought behind it. Yeah. So I definitely uh, want to stress that everything on my page is something that I've eaten and that I recommend and that I loved. So there's definitely, I have videos, a ton of videos that I don't post because I end up eating it and I don't love it. Mm. And so I, although it's great content, I don't want to put it out there as a recommendation for people because it's not something that I truly felt a connection with. So, I mean, for me, it's easier to do a video than it is to take a picture because I'm not a photographer and 
that to me didn't come too naturally to me. But for me, it was like, okay, we'll take a one minute video in the beginning of the meal. And then for the rest of the meal, we just enjoy. Right. Right. But, but with the photos, it was like every single thing you take, like 50 photos of it and then like all the angles and then the food's cold and then like Dan's upset because he's hungry. (laughs) And so, I mean, a lot of it was uh, just, you know, practicality for me too. What's funny is that's the inverse problem that a lot of food influencers have. Like it's easier to take a photo than to actually be an engaging person mm. like on camera. It's difficult. What what you do seems second nature to you, but it's really challenging for others. Well, if I'm going to have six, even 60 seconds, as short of a time period as that is, to pack that with actual meaningful tasting notes, uh, descriptions, not to sound cringy, like that's such a simple thing that is really challenging for others. That's a reason why others don't do it in mass. Um, so I'm glad you found that vibe. And that, that we've seen your page grow. I think in 2016, Pete Pham, our writer, wrote a piece mm-hmm, on you. This mm-hmm. is before your restaurants. And you had 44,000 followers at the time. And today you're like just over 300,000 followers. And, and over 400,000 across all your concepts. Like that's, that's it's crazy. crazy. It's crazy. So let's get into, let's get into Shrimp Daddy. Well... Real quick before we get into Shrimp Daddy, the Watch You Neat videos also was at a time where Instagram video was starting. Yes. And yes. your videos, more than Food Beast videos, more than other publisher videos, your videos were getting nutso views. Like million. Seven figure plus views. And I remember seeing that, like, this is a turning point where this is the first time I'm seeing instagram views in the millions and it was your account and we're all like we're for me i'm scratching my head in editorial room like this is providing such a great context how do we learn from this and adapt and now i mean influencers are quote unquote participating in mukbang style content all the time and they all seem like an emulation from what you were doing and so i just wanted to commend you on that because you were the first Instagram video that I saw not only be cool and it rose your following, but like it was getting insanely viewed because of the new platform. And I just remember that being like, man, what's what's June doing? Like, I love the content I already watched. But then to see that skyrocket, I was like, man, you really tapped into something that really no one else was doing at the time. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think it was something that I felt like was me and it came at the right time because it was when video had just started and I felt like I wanted to do something with that. And it, I think it was a reassurance too when Instagram wanted to feature me on their page. Mm. And I think that that's, that boosted me, I think, over the 100K. And I think, um, I don't know, it was, just, it was just kind of a surreal experience that, hey, I'm eating, I mean, I'm already eating like on my own time, mm. but now that I'm capturing it, it's something that people want to watch which is interesting. Yeah, it was good. It was good. And, and again, video came out on Instagram at the time, but I do think it was how you were doing it that was different because other people went out and like, I'm just going to do video with food because that's what I see June doing. I see other people doing it, but their videos would fall flat because it's like, well, you're going to talk about food. It is hard. Like you're going to say something is just slurpy. Like that's how you're going to define noodles. Like what's in the freaking broth? What's in these places? And it definitely felt like you were going to places that you just wanted to go to and not when Jeff mentioned earlier, guys, 
the Instagram tastings for those of you guys that don't like go to those, like a lot of food influencers that you follow go to these things called Instagram tastings or social media tastings where a restaurant will just invite you and they'll invite you with 30 other influencers and everyone's essentially getting the same content and a lot of it will end up looking the same unless you are someone like a June, right? Or uh, I like food with Michael or there are other people like everyone has, if you have a very specific style, there are ways to capture that content and it looks different. Um, so, but that's, I just want to commend on that part that, that it was fundamentally different and it was you. And so that, that content I feel would work on other platforms as well. Like people would follow you to Twitch to watch that. I don't think it's just because Instagram had video at that moment, but you definitely catapulted and rode that wave. That well, awesome. and to think about it, like you were one of the first quote unquote food influencers that was even putting their face in front of a camera. Mm. Like everyone was at that point. Doing high high contrast, high saturated photo content, using a food photo as their profile pic, and not mentioning themselves at all. And mm-hmm. so we've seen that take a dramatic turn because now people are trying to identify themselves as a personal brand and and so on and so forth that we've talked on this podcast. So now that I think about it, it's like mm-hmm. yeah, you put yourself in front of the camera kind they of way would. before this this personal brand movement. So. Mm-hmm. How did you get to the point where you knew that you wanted to create a concept? Was it after the struggles of the fuck concept with Dan or, and why I say struggles is because I've talked to Dan Mm -hmm. about the concept uh, and it was eventually sold. I don't know the details, but I know that it was frustrating to say the least, especially at certain moments. So knowing that Dan had just experienced all that frustration Obviously, you have a growing account, but what made you confident that stepping into restaurateurship and like was the right thing to do? Yeah. So Dan, after after selling Chop Shop, was deciding what to do next. And so there are a lot of other ideas that came came to mind, but it all kind of stemmed back to food. And I think that we both have such a strong passion for food that it makes sense that we create our life around it. And so the next project, we decided that we had wanted to do something together or that he would find another partner to do it with. That this time he couldn't do it by himself because with Chop Shop, he was by himself. Oh, wow. And um, he, it was like family got in the mix and stuff like that, but I mean, he was running the show. And I think after that experience, he realized that he needs someone to help, that they need to be a team. And so I was encouraging him to meet with people and talk to people. And I was doing my own thing with Stern Style. So that's that's how it happened where we decided to work to, well, how it started for the restaurant. That's a big decision. I mean, we've had one of my favorite conversations that we've ever had is, we invited Nathaniel Wynn to talk about Love him. Well, he and he talked about his restaurant closings, which were yeah. like a super emotional pod. It's one of my favorite ones because he just bared all and just talked about everything. But one of the biggest ramifications from that podcast was it destroyed his relationship. And it was a growing beautiful relationship that got destroyed and pulled apart by having restaurant brands. How much did you guys talk about that before you got into restaurants? 
We talked about it quite a lot because we experienced the struggles and challenges at Chop Shop. So, you know, little things like, hey, when you're you're upset at something or you're in a bad mood, then it affects me. Like if I'm trying to like make a pho bowl right now and I feel your energy around me like going really fast and trying to get things done, it's it's not conducive to to us working well together. And so, I mean, I, we've we've experienced things like that at the restaurant and how to work through it and how to be better and, you know, what kind of talks we need to have about it. And so I think at that point, we were really strong already and ready to take on something new. And I think something that's really important for us is that as much as we can, we try to separate the business and the personal. So if he's trying, say at the far restaurant, like if he's telling me, the sandwich is not supposed to be made this way. It's not because he thinks that I make a bad sandwich. It's that for the business, this is not how it's supposed to be made. Mm. And so we both learn to not take things personally. That's easier said than done, yeah. for sure. Like just just having that conversation is is strong and but what what were you offering? And what was Dan bringing to the table? And then there are other partners on Shrimp Daddy? Correct. So talk to me about everyone and what everyone's bringing to the table that you felt you needed and how that worked out. Absolutely. So our partners are Anna and Jeremy. So it's the four of us. So Who are they? They are a couple that we met at a food event, actually. They have a food Instagram themselves. It's called SoCal Eatery. And so we met them at, you know, one of the media tasting things. And we met them again at LA Food and Wine Festival. Mm -hmm. And that's the first time that Dan had met them. And him and Jeremy really hit it off just talking about business and, you know, a little bit about life. We talked about for 30 minutes or so, they exchanged numbers. And at that time, I was really encouraging Dan to find someone to work with. Because mm-hmm. you didn't know you were the right partner correct, for Dan at that correct. time. Correct. I didn't know. Uh, right, exactly. Like, I was doing my own Stern style stuff. I knew Dan had his ambition, so I wanted to support him how I could. So I encouraged him to go meet with him. And so Jeremy actually brought his wife, Anna, to the meeting because they worked together. And so they had a meeting and they talked for like five hours. Wow. And I think they really, it was like a tell all and just tell me about your life and what your ambitions are. And so there was a synergy there. And then we decided from that point on, of course, I was brought into the mix too, that this could be an amazing partnership because we have all different skill sets. We have all different experiences and we're two couples. So we're strong in that sense where, you know, one person's not going to one day cut out and leave and like we have that bond but you don't know that right i guess not i guess okay they were married they're married yeah Yeah. they're married you're married and i well we weren't married at the time right but i know i know your relationship i i've i've met the other couple and for all intents and purposes i think that you guys are both really strong couples and i can see why that foundation really works for you guys i still think like two couples in a business is Dangerous. High, it could be like high risk, high reward. Like if you totally. guys work together as a unit, like especially also because you guys are also a power marketing couple and the fact that you guys both have platforms that you can use. But man, that's just like sounds woo. like a weird Venn diagram to me. <laughs> like 
So your optimism, I was like, my cynicism coming in. I'm just like, damn, they're another couple? Like, what if they have a fight? Like, not even talking about, like, the extreme of a fight, but now you have to deal with their, that same energy you're talking about at Chop Shop if Dan's looking over your shoulder because mm-hmm. the fubble doesn't look right. Mm-hmm. Like, now imagine if you guys were like, you had to leave for the day because, like, I can't fucking look at Dan anymore. And that other couple has to deal with it. Like, the, So for me, I just felt that energy. That's the thing, though. Like, our relationship isn't like that where it's like, I'll just be like, I got to go. I can't look at you right now. Like, we always talk things out. And I think that's the same with Anna and Jeremy, that mm. it's it's very relationship focused where the relationship of not only the four of us, but like each of the couples that comes first. Mm. So we have to build that and make that strong. And, you know, Anna and Jeremy are married, so they have that commitment, right? And I think that when they met us and got to know us, they saw our commitment. I think that if they saw that we were like wavering or if we got in fights all the time, they wouldn't feel comfortable, you know, going into business yeah. with us because you're really getting into bed with your partners and and you want to make sure that that relationship is strong. So I think that it some people can see it as a weakness as two couples, but for us I think it's definitely a strength. So you guys are you guys are couple friends, you guys are hanging out at these influencer events, you're getting to know. So you talking about that 5-hour meeting that Dan had with them. Is that where Shrimp Daddy came to be or was it was business together not even a thing just yet? It was just we're getting to know each other. We don't know why yet. And everyone has those kind of relationships. You don't know why you're going to have a five hour meeting. You just do that. Maybe there's something in the pipe. But what happens next? It was like just a get to know you type of meeting. Mm -hmm. And there were there were little little cues in the meeting. I remember when Dan came home after he's like. I think this guy is going to be my best man one day. And I was like, you literally just met him and (laughs) hung out with him for five hours. Like, are you slow your roll, dude? Are you sure? And then uh, we're not even engaged at this point, by the way. And then he, he said like something little, like Dan had mentioned about like a coffee he's been wanting to try or, or I think it was, Oh, that he, I don't know. But then Jeremy had gotten up to go to the restroom and then he got him the coffee and like brought it to the table. And it's like that kind of consideration that Dan is, you know, that really matters to him. And I, and same for Anna and Jeremy and myself. So it's those sort of things that we're always thoughtful of each other. And so Dan already felt that connection with them. And so they came over because we had an idea for a rice ball concept. Hmm. So Dan and I were working on something that's like different uh, infusions in the rice, like squid ink or cilantro. Uh, and so we were making they're kind of like spam musubis, but not mm. quite. And so that was our idea of a potential business. And so they came over to kind of try it, like have a taste test and let's see if this may be something that they want to be a part of too. And then, uh, so we did the taste test and we got to know each other. We had a long dinner and then we went to an ice cream shop afterwards. And we were just thinking about, you know, how can we make this something? And then we were talking about, you know, it's what what attracts people. A lot of the times it's the smell of something. And like, yeah, we were making spam and that smells great, but well, what else could we make that we love that smells great and that can attract people? And going backwards a bit, the four of us love Hawaii. Like we've all spent time there and separately and we've all just, I mean, we have a connection there. Jeremy, actually, his grandma grew up on a pineapple plantation. Wow. And so 
the four of us, whenever we came back from Hawaii, we would have the garlic butter shrimp there. But when we came back here, there'd be nothing like it. There's nowhere to get it. And I yeah. could and I could say that because I also have a big connection to Hawaii. Being half Japanese, it's where like one of my favorite places to eat because you see this crazy Islander Japanese fusion. It's beautiful coming in, together. With Italian there's like mm. so many different types of fusion that happen on that island. And I've had shrimp trucks and I've had garlic shrimp there. And it was something that I only experienced there. I never I never knew how to get it. There was L and L was here. You could get Hawaiian barbecue, which I still love, but I also never ate that in Hawaii. Like I it's to me it was more of a California thing because I ate that when I was here. But your the shrimp at Shrimp Daddy was the first time I was ever like, wow, I can finally get something that I've experienced every time I've gone to Hawaii. Yeah, so we we couldn't find it here, and we actually tried to make it ourselves just because we were craving it, and it was amazing. And so we were thinking like, what smells good? Literally on on the beaches of Hawaii, Dan and I were at the beach, and we could smell something delicious and we were like what is it and we followed the trail and it was hawaiian garlic butter shrimp and it's just it gives you that feeling of of being back on the island and so we wanted to bring that here and we wanted to serve a vacation inside a pineapple boat yeah that's that's going to be the my next question too because i've had the shrimp it's incredible how important was how you guys serve it to your looming audience the audience that's going to come because you the the plates that you guys are talking about in hawaii are normally on a white paper plate i remember or a styrofoam plate and it's white and you have your shrimp usually a a nice thing of of white rice and then mac salad traditionally there's other salads too and so what were you guys looking at like do we just bring that concept here because it's just not available or do you go the next step and inevitably it's served in a half pineapple which is now iconic it's how it shows up in an Instagram feed. I'd love to know like if there are like flavor components of doing it in a pineapple that aren't just for the gram. So So being I guess a social media influencer. Mm. I, I th- that word is so weird to me. But anyways, having it as a food Instagram, <laughs> I I was very aware that food not only has to taste good, but it has to look good. So people eat with their eyes first, right? And so we were thinking of ways to make this look beautiful and that people would want to share on social media. And so we were thinking, well, we want to serve it with pineapple. And what would be just an amazing vehicle for it would just be half a pineapple boat. And so, I mean, it has the flavor of the pineapple because we carve it out. Each one is hand carved. Yeah. So you get that extra flavor of the pineapple. We see people like gnawing on it too, which is always the best sight. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's available in the plate or in a boat, and we sell out of boats every weekend. We try to bring as many as we can, but we don't want to give everyone arthritis. In the beginning, it was Anna and I just carving all the pineapples, and then Dan and Jeremy doing other prep. So it was the four of us doing the prep, doing service. How do you decide where to show up? Like, So you have this concept. You guys all have this common commonality with Hawaii. You know you're going to do this garlic butter shrimp. Did your first thought like we're going to open a restaurant? Like what Our first thought was actually maybe a truck. Okay. So from ideation to execution, it was only 3 weeks for Shrimp Daddy. 
Damn. So Dan wow. and I were cooking like shrimp in our apartment nonstop and and the dogs were smelling like shrimp and the hallway was smelling like garlic. <laughs> it was crazy. But we were quick. And I think that that's what is one of the things that make the four of us unique is that we all have different skills and that we can come together and execute and we can make decisions really fast. So we decided we were thinking maybe, okay, we'll do food truck or maybe we'll do farmer's markets. And then I, there was Smorgasburg mm. because I had gone to a media day at Smorgasburg and saw the stands. And so we, we applied to Smorgasburg and explain what Smorgasburg yes. is for like our audience Great. that may not be from LA. So Smorgasburg is an outdoor food market where there's about 50 to 60 stalls. There's food and retail, and it happens every Sunday at the road downtown LA from 10 to 4 p.m. And the original one is in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And so we were hoping that we could get into Smorgasburg. I mean, this would be awesome for us. And so we applied and we heard back from the manager, Zach, and he had to come over for a tasting. So Dan and, and I were like, exclusive here. Like it's so hard to get into Smorg from what I hear from the vendors. Right. So we, I mean, prior to this, I had made sure that all our photos looked amazing, right? Like we had it in the pineapple board. Everything was perfect. Like we sent that into the application. It looked great. And so Zach came over, uh, Dan and I were like nervous about it and like cooking the shrimp up on the roof and, you know, served it in the pineapple boat and he ate it and he loved it. He ate the whole thing. And then he told us either that day or the next that we were in. And so we were like, oh, shoot. Wait, okay. what, does, what does that mean? In? Does that mean like the next Sunday you can vend? Yes. Oh, so shit. So we were like, okay, we have to buy everything. Like we got to get our tents. We got to get our burners. We got to get our signage. We got to get our like just the banners, everything, menus. So... The four of us were working really hard to get that all together. And the first week we got there, we set up everything. Well, the Saturday we prepped before. We set up everything. We get there at like 6 a.m. Just like make sure we're ready by 10. And we had in the beginning these portable burners. You know, the ones you bring when you go camping? Yeah. Yeah. So we had four of those. And then we had like, so it's like a little like butane bottle that yeah. you use. And it was windy. So it was in November. And so it, the wind would just like blow the fire out. And then we would just have to keep turning it back on. And so each time we did Shrimp Daddy, we learned something new and we would bring in something to make it better. So the next week after that, definitely had propane, like professional burners. And I mean, the first, the first week that we were there, we had a huge line. I, I blasted it on social. I invited everybody from, you know, King our media Shabu, friends. Yeah. yeah, I sent out emails. So everyone was there and everyone was thankfully very patient with us because our wait ended up being like an hour and a half to get your food. We had to take down people's phone numbers because we weren't able to get their food in time to them for them to wait around. Mm -hmm. And we were, I mean, Instead of having like a ticket line that we do now, we were using, uh, it was my brilliant idea to use post-its, not thinking <laughs> that it would blow away potentially. So it was just little things like that. Like we were scrambling. Thank God some of our friends came to help us in the back. But it was definitely a learning experience that first time. But the reception was amazing. Like people loved it and people were really excited about it. And since then we've been, you know, developing our recipe to be even better and our operations and our team. At what point, so 
Shrimp Daddy is only available at Smorg to this day, right? And is that... We have it at uh, 66 Night Market and OC Night Market as okay, well. Okay, gotcha. So you, they're in places that are kind of set up for weekend style events. But in the midst of that, you're also creating additional brands, right? I think the average person would say, oh, the next step for Shrimp Daddy would be to make a restaurant. And in the, but you guys are creating additional brands that you're also unveiling uh, at Smorg is what I remember, but I'm not sure if they unveiled there. Yeah, they did. Is that so? What was the mindset to continue to create without going into a quote unquote standalone restaurant? Like, what do you like about Smorg and those events to also be able to think that you want to create more of them that start at those type of events? So what we love about Smorgasburg is that when people get there, they're excited to eat mm. and they're ready to try new things. And it was a perfect market. Like the market was already built in. We just had to help facilitate it. So what Zach was telling us was that like he loves us there because we're able to bring people in ourselves, which helps the market in general. And so I think that we really felt thankful for the opportunity to have Shrimp Daddy there. And we still do to this day to have all three of our concepts there. Um, it's the perfect place to test out a concept, to see if, if it's received well, to see where you can work out the kinks. You don't have to open up a brick and mortar. You don't have to sign a lease. You don't have to you know, put in so much investment except for your initial cost of equipment and, you know, figuring out what your recipes are. But it's, I think it's the perfect way to test out a concept. So we have our concepts there and we're going to have them there until they kick us out. So what, what's next? So you have Shrimp Daddy, uh, Sip Matcha, and then Chichi Dango. But why, what makes you decide Sip has a standalone store? Multiple. Multiple. So like what makes that concept something you decide to build stores for as opposed to Shrimp Daddy, which is a massive success as well, but that is relegated, I feel, to these festival-style, market-style places. So our mission for Sip Matcha is to make high-quality matcha accessible to everyone. And so in order to do that, we couldn't just be at Smorgasburg. We mm -hmm. wanted to spread our wings, expand, make sure we had one on the west side, make sure we had one, you know, inland a bit, and then we have our downtown location. So our mission for that from the beginning was to share the message of matcha. Just, I think that matcha is such an incredible superfood that people don't really understand yet and that people are just learning about. And so we really wanted to be at the forefront of that. Was it also because the beverage side from an infrastructure and retail standpoint is a bit easier to control than a restaurant is. Um, I would assume I've never owned a beverage concept, so I can't say that, but, and your, your menu at SIP is pretty expansive. Like there's a lot of stuff going on there, but is that part of the equation? Like I can get a smaller space in Westwood. Margins are pretty good on these drinks and there's, maybe three or four people manning the shop at any given time versus a restaurant I need 20 or yeah. whatever whatever that equivalent is. Absolutely. Out of all three concepts, uh, Sip Macho is also the most scalable. So we're able to open a shop without needing to put in a full-on kitchen for Shrimp Daddy mm. um, because Shrimp Daddy does require a lot, a lot of, of hands-on deck, a lot of inventory, a lot of equipment. 
sip matcha also requires a lot of ingredients, but we have, you know, we are, we source from a farm that's over a hundred years old in Japan and we went there to vet it ourselves. And so we're really confident with that and, you know, our, our supply of matcha. And so, you know, that was, that was the best move for us. For the people like me who love shrimp daddy though, and take meetings in LA consistently and then can't get it. Like when are you going to open up a shrimp daddy restaurant? So we're actually working on opening up a shrimp daddy brick and mortar. Ooh. And is your mission for sip matcha should be the mission for shrimp daddy. <laughs> I was like, like, I like I your disagree. mission for sip matcha <laughs> and I love the beverages. I've, I've had them a bunch and I just, I love matcha. So I can't speak of it more highly. But I want your shrimp more. <laughs> You'll be getting our shrimp more, hopefully, by the end of this year. Cool. Ooh, yeah. Cool. Shit, yeah. heard it here first. Yep. Um, was David so, is David so part of Sip Matcha? Because yes. I remember seeing him on his shows, talk like speaking about matcha, trying to educate people. And he's just funny. Yeah, so. David So and JK Films. Have you guys? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So they're investors. Okay, oh, cool. 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 Very cool. So in Sip, just in Sip. So... We have, for all three concepts, we have a restaurant group. It's called mm. Lotus Creatives, mm. and they're part of all three. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Cool. That's yeah. a really cool uh, connecting thread because JK Films and David. So just, those are people that we know. We watch their content regularly. And I didn't even, Eli mentioned to me in passing, he's like, I'm, I thought David mentioned it on the new show that they have on Thrillist. Yes. Yeah, I was like, Sen oh, Fitz. really? I was like, oh, really? Like, again, just. Love June's content, love David's content. They had no idea that it you connected, know, come like to, that. connected like that. Yeah, we love working with them. And of course, they have such a loyal fan base that, that trust them. And so, it, I mean, we love having them on the team. Awesome. That's crazy. So you, you have four partners, you have investors. I still think it's a little crazy to have three business babies at once. I mean, I have one business baby and it drives me crazy. So creating three different brands with their own set of products across across beverage, dessert, savory seafood sounds just really stressful. And on top of that, Dan's a trainer. On top of that, again, investors, multiple partners. Like, How do you split your time? Yeah, how do you decide what gets the attention? So last year was especially crazy because not only was it all that, but we also got married. So I was planning a wedding and then I was also my best friend's maid of honor. And so, you know, making a few trips to Japan. And I mean, it was like a crazy year, but somehow it all got done. Like when our attention is needed somewhere, we focus there and we make sure to have our feelers out where everything else needs our help. But if something really needs our attention, we focus there. And some nights you don't get much sleep. There's definitely not enough hours in the day, but it's definitely important to find a team you can trust because we've built a team uh, for all three concepts that work at Smorgasburg and all our events and at the shops that really are just amazing and we can trust them. Do the teams rotate? So does someone on SIP potentially work at Shrimp Daddy? Is like, or, or are there separate teams entirely for each? So SIP, the SIP brick and mortars, they have their own teams. Some of them might work at Shrimp Daddy sometimes. And then everyone at Smorgasburg who works at those three concepts, they kind of rotate as needed. Mm. But they have like their main stations that they're used to. So it seemed like at the beginning, 
the four people, the four original founders, they were hands on deck. Like you had marketing, but at Shrimp Daddy, it was like, who can chop pineapples right now and who could do that? What are the roles now? And then like, how did that expand as you go from, again, I, I don't want to gloss over going from a, basically a pop-up at a market to having all these concepts and the miscellaneous that goes into that, like the teams that get built to do that. Saying build the team is cool, but a lot of people work on a market concept for years and they can, even in year three, they're still having to find help that can show up on a Sunday to cut pineapples. So like, how do you go from figuring that out to, all right, guys, I know me, June, me, Dan, can't be cutting pineapples. Like if we want another concept, how do you step out of that? What point are you, all right, there's enough money coming in. We will hire someone to replace. We got to train that person. Talk to me about that, like minutia real quick. So from the start, we were very mindful that if we were working in the business, we wouldn't be able to work on the business. Mm. So if we were working cashier, if we were plating, if we were cutting pineapples, like we wouldn't be able to see the big picture. And that's something that happened at Chop Shop, mm. where we were so into the day-to-day, like, you know, what inventory do we need tomorrow? And then, okay, today we're going to have service and then clean up and then break down. And then, then tomorrow we do it all over again. And you're just so stuck in that, that there's no way that you can work on growth. And so the moment that we were able to, you know, that we were getting customers, we were getting regular customers, it was, it was a concept people loved. Like we wanted to bring on help because we knew that the business wouldn't grow if we weren't growing, if we weren't growing it, right? Like if we couldn't step back, slow down, observe what's happening, we would have our heads down, stuck in those pineapples the whole time. So that that simple theme and that mantra of just trying to get out of, be a little bit above your business to see what's going on was what kind of triggered and allowed you guys to find out how to grow, how to hire, so forth. Yeah, so we just, we wanted to work on the business and not in it day to day. I mean, I had, this took me a while to learn because I love getting my hands dirty and I love like getting in there with a team on the line. And there's been times where they've had to be like, hey, like step out of there and, and let them do it. Because I I have gotten much better at this, but I used to be the type of person that's like, if it's not done my way, then, you know, the highway. it's wrong. Like I have to get this done or else it's not gonna be done right. But I've learned to delegate and train and really trust. Mm-hmm. And so even though sometimes like I like to get in there, like I try to pull myself back. But for example, at night markets, like it's really fun for us because even though it's exhausting as three days and it's like 100,000 people that come through the market, um, we get to be in there with them just because we need all hands on deck because it's crazy. And so we get to be in there plating, expediting, cashier, everything. How much of your law background do you actually use in the day-to-day for your concepts now? And I know you mentioned earlier on the pod that you still you're still lawyer, you still use it. But how how much and how helpful is that to be uh or have that style of experience for your restaurant group? I think it's super valuable because I'm able to review all our contracts. I'm able to draft up our contracts. I'm able to do our trademark registrations. Um, 
I'm able to understand when I need help too. Like, this is not my expertise. We need to bring someone on to help us with this. Um, I think that law school taught me discipline. I think law school taught me time management. So every single skill, I'd say that I use every single day. Well, not every single skill, but I, the skills that I learned in general. Yeah, use every single day. I know how much more money we'd save if we were lawyers. Like, if we oh, had that, Jesus. like, it's crazy. I'm Okay, I won't say it. We have this running joke in the office that Rudy and I are lawyers only because we're the, before it goes to like our actual counsel, like we have to determine if this is worth going to our actual mm-hmm. counsel. And so we look at a lot of stuff because we're trying to filter it to flag whether it's worth it to bring it to our our, our uh, lawyer who's a partner in the firm because his time is very valuable and we like to give it to him when it's kind of big picture stuff. Not because someone like redlined their net 30 financial terms or whatever. Mm -hmm. So we just have this running joke because a lot of it is really hard to understand. Like I have to learn about indemnity. I have to learn about releases. I have to learn about all these things just so I don't bother counsel. And so uh, trust me, what you do is super (laughs) valuable. And I wish we had someone better to be looking at There are skills that you learn in school, kids. Yes. There really, there really are. Like, yeah, like I'm going to turn into the person that's actually going to push education now. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, that's it's good to see it's still in use. There's uh, – do you feel some type of way when you see food in a pineapple boat now? <laughs> that's not yours? Um, I mean – I feel like Shrimp Daddy is our baby, right? And so, like, every time I cradle a pineapple boat, it's, like, more so, like, my baby. But, I mean, we didn't invent pineapples. We didn't invent bowls. So, for us, it's imitation is really the greatest form of flattery. Like, do you actually feel that, though? Because everyone says that. (laughs) And let me tell you, when I – okay, we go to Seattle. We find the lead on this – 100 pound seafood boat in seattle they serve this giant boat of seafood we had never seen it in video anywhere and we bring it to life two weeks later another publisher basically redoes the entire video we know that they saw our video saw the performance and did it that's completely their right Mm -hmm. and the video does well for them but on the inside i fucking hate it and as much as i won't say it and I'm like, well, I'm saying it on this podcast. Yeah, now. I just might. <laughs> but it's one of those things where I don't like it. I can't do anything about it, but I feel some type of way about it. Yeah. And is there going to be a muttering under my breath like, fuck these guys, fuck these people? Yeah, but not to, not in a public forum. Like, I'm not going to Twitter to do it. Yeah, but we'll I think here, that, though. Yeah, but, <laughs> like, but, yeah but when I'm. When I see Eli on the stairs, I'm like, by the way, fuck that. Yeah. And so I'm like, I know I'm not alone, but I'm not saying you feel that way. So here's the thing. I am cool with people having their own creativity in things, right? So if they have a pineapple boat and it's a bunch of different stuff inside and it's their own version, have at it. But if it is a pineapple boat that looks exactly like ours, serving exactly what we serve in it, then we have problems. Well, because I've seen three. I've seen at least, and we've talked about this before when we interviewed you for like a copycat pod that we did. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I've seen at least three. 
that are just shrimp in a pineapple with max out the way you guys do it and again we've we've had this conversation on the You've potty seen line. three i've seen three all right yeah your lawyer your lawyer eyes <laughs> oh shit <laughs> And again, I'm not like I'm not, I'm not specifically trying to track these down, but e- but every time I see it, I'm like, oh shit! In the same way that when I see video content that we've done previously, and like, oh, that's that looks roughly the same. Uh, Is I don't it know. It's have may- a flag. I mean, it is flattering. Wouldn't you consider it kind of like when people first started seeing your shrimp boats in the pineapple? It felt so traditionally tied to this island it felt old it felt like something you've seen for years even though it was new in this new that it almost felt like why yeah I'll, why I'll haven't we put it in yeah a pineapple I'll, just, boat. I'll just do it it makes sense if i have these other things on the menu i'm just gonna put in a pineapple boat i mean we're not the first people to put stuff in a pineapple sure boat. so sure. so we can't claim that but i just it's if people don't have creativity in it like if you say it's the same thing I've seen it too. Same things presented the same way. Mm-hmm. It it does rub us the wrong way because at least just have a little bit of spice to it. Have do something that's yours, right? Especially in your area. Do something that's yours. Especially in your area, because you lose that argument when like, well, maybe if they did it in New York, well, no one in New York is doing it. Like we love what Shrimp Daddy's doing on the West Coast, but the same way that like when you came back from Hawaii, like, well, no one's doing this here in California. That's my contribution to food in this area whatever but yeah in your area i could see that smoke i could see you being like Ugh. i would feel some type of way the way that just mentioning like we do feel that type of way we can't do anything about it other than talk shit under our breath <laughs> but it is what it is both both food beast and stern style get talked about as influencers you and i both don't like that term mm-hmm. goes back to what i was talking about with us being old souls but that's how we're described. You now own multiple business concepts and understand the value of Instagram, understand the value of social media marketing from these personalities, quote unquote, influencers, whatever you want to call them. What's your relationship with the Instagram community now, knowing that you've kind of not only been a part of it, but are also on the proprietor side, right? How do you, how do you, what's your relationship with social media right now? I feel like because I am on both sides, I can understand the needs of both sides. Mm -hmm. And I understand that when people come to any of our concepts to take photos and to post and to try it, they're taking time out of their day. And it's something that we are very grateful for. And it's something that we know that they don't have to do. And so I think that, you know, I feel extra appreciation for the community that that we've all built together um, because I understand what it's like to be on the other side. And like I used to drive down, like in the beginning of certain style, like I would drive down to the OC to get like a free smoothie to post about. Like it was stuff like that. Like I know how much time it takes and then the effort it takes and just the intention to go to help spread the word. And so, I mean, it's appreciation all the way. Do you find enough value in influencer marketing that you would spend on paid advertising with influencers? Um, I think that we are, well, we're currently not at that point yet to spend on influencers because, I mean, like our our investor group is also very influential as well. 
So we have we have that and our our network. I think that it's something that we're definitely open to because yeah. I think that there's definitely. I mean, I get paid for brands. I think that there's absolutely definite like value there, and I mean that's something that we'll work on down the line. Because even someone as big as Blaze Pizza, who has a influential person in like LeBron James being on the team, still spends on influencer advertising. You still see hashtag ad from people with even. 500 followers so there is some sort of magic at least that some brands see even when there's influence at the top so that's interesting yeah because i wanted to ask because i mean we recently had a conversation with the ceo of pizza press and talking about like what actually gets people through the door and that's something that again instagram is like really really great for awareness when things perform really really well high likes high engagement high video views yeah that's gonna bring people through your door but the amount of people is always it just depends and so i think that's i mean obviously food beast we live in a space we're similar to you june like we're getting paid by brands to spread awareness um i'm just curious how much you see that translating into people walking through your door and if you can attribute it to the marketing that you're doing within the space? I mean, marketing is always really hard to put a number on, to quantify. Like you can't say, oh, because I posted this, like, you know, a hundred people came through the door. But I know that it works because I know that for myself, people come in all the time and say that they're there because of me or they saw it they saw it through my Instagram or they saw it because of JK's or, you know, it's, it works, but it is hard to put a number on. That's, that's the problem. I think like it's, you know, unless you give them a code, right. Unless you give them a code to come in, then you can actually count it. Have you found any like new flows using Instagram or Yelp or anything kind of tangible that someone listening with the restaurant that might be trying to get more people in the door could work? Like it's posting a certain amount on SIP's Instagram, gonna bring in an even keeler. If you like, don't post for a week, do you see a dip in people coming in? Um, I think that that's even hard to quantify mm. because y- you have to put into consideration like the weather, you know, mm. what the midterm schedule is like at UCLA or like, you know, there's there's different variables every single day that it's hard to pinpoint exactly what a certain tactic did for correct, that day. Correct. Yeah. I- I think you just nailed on a really interesting point, even just by slightly mentioning like midterms and weather is knowing your audience is way more than just knowing your Instagram audience. Mm. Because I mean, that's the value that I think we've we've heard now from multiple podcasts. Like it is a platform, but it is not the platform. It is not. Well, it's not the entirety of your audience. And it might even your the amount of people that follow you maybe following you for entertainment reasons, maybe following because they like your photos but have never stepped in through your door. So knowing your consumer on that level is, I think you do have to know, that if you're in Westwood, you do have to know the midterm schedules. And if you're not, if you don't know, you're not doing your job, even if you posted three times that day. Mm-hmm. Like running a business is a completely different animal than running an Instagram account. Like it's just, like you said, there's things you have to think about that, you don't have to worry about with your phone and posting stuff. So, I mean, it's we're learning stuff every single day. Congratulations on Thank all you. your success, June, and your whole team. 
Yeah, and thanks for coming on. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me, guys. It's so fun to be here. Where can where can people find you? Uh, find your concepts. Connect with you. They can find Shrimp Daddy, Chichidango, and Sit Matcha at Smorgasburg every Sunday. And then also Sit Matcha in Westwood and Roland Heights. And they can find me at Stern Style. Beautiful outro. Let's just run it. Yeah, that was real good. So I guys, think, leave I a review. I think we're done here. <laughs> 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 All right, bye. This guys. is the end. My name is Jeff. <laughs> <laughs>